Hi, welcome to The Kicker. I'm Kyle Pope, editor and publisher of the Columbia Journalism Review. This week, the ongoing coverage of the coronavirus. So there's a lot of different narratives about the state of the virus and the state of vaccines, depending on where you live. In the United States, there's been an enormous success with the vaccination campaign, although there are pockets of the country where there's a lot of resistance, but largely people are getting vaccinated and the country very, very, very quickly is sort of getting back to work, to play. Broadway's gonna be opening up, movie theaters are gonna be opening up, sports events are opening up, and there's almost this sense of euphoria. That's not the case in, frankly, most of the rest of the world. And it's also not the case in Great Britain. I'm thrilled to be joined today by Carol Cadwalder, who's a feature writer for The Observer, a lot of you may know her for her work on the Facebook Cambridge Analytica scandal in 2018. But she's recently gotten engaged in this question of how journalism covers science, especially science as it relates to the virus. And I think there's a lot for us to learn in the U.S. about, about the alarm bells that she's ringing in the U.K. Carol, it's great to talk to you again. Kyle, thanks so much for having me back. It's it's great to 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 talk to you again, although not great circumstances, perhaps, but still a fascinating topic. Yeah. So, I I initially connected you to this topic through a Twitter thread that you that you posted having to do with the data on the spread of a COVID variant in schools in Britain, and you were sort of warning and I took it as a warning to journalists that you know people need to be more skeptical about what's going on and 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 what the government what what your government it was trying to do to sort of block some of this information first talk to us about this publication of data on the covid variant in schools and the government's sort of lack of transparency around that what was the backstory there for people here who don't know it so the backstory was was that I got alerted. Um, a whistleblower um, made contact with me from inside. Uh, it's a body called Public Health England, which is so it's the main body in the UK that is there to protect our public health. They are in charge of publishing all of the data and um, coordinating the response, essentially, to COVID nineteen. And essentially what we, what we saw was this evidence. It was incredibly shocking that it, um, it was basically that number 10, so the prime minister's office, had taken steps to suppress data about the spread of this new variant, the Delta variant, in schools. And what had happened is that Public Health England had prepared a report, the weekly report they always do, and they had a page of detailed data about the number of cases in schools, where uh, of the number of cases in, involving the variant. And we saw that. that so I actually saw that piece, that page um, of, um, of data that they'd prepared. And what happened is number 10 had intervened directly to stop Public Health England publishing that data. And I, I actually, I mean, it was, as I sort of say, it was pretty astonishing evidence. And what happened is, you know, I rang, obviously, I put in inquiries to Public Health England. And I also put in inquiries to the Prime Minister's office. And the Prime Minister's, a spokesperson from there, you know, admitted that this had 
essentially that she 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 described it as a conversation was had about the presentation of the data not being appropriate. So they sort of admitted it. But the thing is about it, that was that data was from May the 12th and it still has not been published. And, you know, so so we published a story on this so that, the, you know, that the prime minister had actively been involved in suppressing this sort of crucial evidence. And it's crucial because we know that schools are the kind of biggest melting pots. They're the places where we know that transmission is occurring because it's the largest pool of unvaccinated people in the country who are mm-hmm. kind of being crowded in together. And the, 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 the most, you know, there's, there are so many sort of shocking elements to this. But what happened is that report was May the 12th. And it was just a few days later that the, that the prime minister took the decision to loosen up restrictions in Britain. So on May the 17th, we, um, we opened up um, shops and restaurants again. And they actually, they, they lifted restrictions on schools. So up until that point, school kids had been required to wear masks. And that was actually lifted on May the 17th. And they said that it was, they were basing this on data, not dates. But yet they'd suppressed the actual data. So, and then since then is that they just, they've continued to refuse to release this data. And there's been, you know, the, the unions had been... Um, petitioning for it there was a letter 80 scientists wrote a letter and asked for it and there was so there was this kind of public clamor and public concern there's the articles that I did there was you know editorials in the in the BMJ the British Medical Journal and yet we still don't have the data and um and and as as sort of time has gone on you know there and there's been there's been basically there's been a small cohort of scientists in Britain who just have been raising the alarm. And they've been raising the alarm for weeks now. And they've been saying, you know, that we can see that there is exponential growth in this new variant. We can see that it's much more highly transmissible. Everything, we can see that it's affecting school-age children more than anything. But yet the government isn't refusing to give us the actual specific data on what is happening. And meanwhile, it has lifted these restrictions. So it's, um, I, I think the thing is, is that I just, because of the background of what I've been doing for the sort of like last year and a bit in terms of I've had a lot of involvement with scientists and with trying to give them a platform to speak directly to the public. So I think I'm just, a, I'm, I'm attuned to... <laughs> to listening to specific scientists and really heeding their warnings. And that's what I've been trying to do, therefore, on Twitter, is to amplify those voices. That call has not got through to, to the general population. Let me get, I'll get in a second to what you're doing yes. with scientists, which I think is totally interesting. But in terms of how the rest of the British media has responded yes. to your to your reporting, I mean, because a few of these, these tweets, one in both in early June, you expressed frustration about why this isn't a bigger scandal. You at one point were like, you were like, why is the BBC platforming these anti-lockdown people? The way that you outline it, it seems like, okay, well, this is going to be a huge scandal that every news outlet is going to be all over. But that doesn't seem to be the case, yeah? No, I mean, I mean, it's the sort of issues around the sort of coverage of, of COVID in Britain are, I mean, we, you know, we operate in a very, very partisan print media landscape 
Yeah. And that the coverage of COVID is not, you know, it's it's very, very politically inflected. And a large part of the media cheerlead the prime minister, essentially. Mm-hmm. And there has been huge hype in Britain around this date, June the 21st. Mm-hmm. June the 21st is when restrictions lift. And we've had front pages, you know, Freedom Day. And mm. so much is invested in this idea that this is the end. This is the end of the pandemic. And so the sort of the, the, the actual sort of evidence that actually hmm, there is something else going on here and that this rise of this variant is of, you know, hugely worrying and could impact upon that. Is, I mean, I think a lot of it is just basic human, you know, there's a basic human desire to see good news, not bad news. Mm-hmm. is part of it but as i say the sort of partisan nature of the of the of the print media also really really plays into this and the fact that you know as of course has been in the states as well you know the the coverage of the pandemic has just been a political football where but you know that the people can't hear each other very well and and i think that is what has gone on with this and i you know I think I think in terms of what you're sort of saying about the rest of the you know the, the the this particular aspect about suppression of data I think it's you know I I think the reason why I'm just so attuned to it is because of my background actually the back, my background over the last 4 years which was around individuals who are now right at the heart of the government being involved in this data abuse and breaking of laws and everything mm-hmm. which happened around the referendum Mm-hmm. So I was kind of, I think that's where just my antennae are really, really attuned to it. And this mm-hmm. lack of transparency is just so alarming to me. And I guess that's why I was sort of ringing the bell around that. Yeah. And it's amazing that, you know, the, the rest of the press doesn't connect the same dots. I mean, you know, the, the reason this is, I mean, there's a million reasons why it's intriguing. But, you know, we went through obviously the same thing where the, the you know, COVID became incredibly politicized where, you know, the, our president got it as your prime minister did and, and dismissed it nevertheless, um, even though we later learned that he was much, much sicker than any of us knew at the time. But then but then he laughed. We have a new we have a new president who sort of has really embraced the science. But I think there's the same instinct here right now where there's this narrative of like, you know, we bested this science sort of won there are, you know, these heroes like Anthony Fauci now, and there's no, I'm not reading a ton of bandwidth here for, wait a minute, let's, we do we need to tap the brakes here or, or mm-hmm. are we done? And I personally am scared to death. I, I mean, I don't, I'm not, mm-hmm. I, I'm not convinced that we're done yet, but anyway, these, mm-hmm. it's more about the kind of like the sort of bandwagon that kicks in. Well, I think it's, I mean, I guess what you're doing, Carl, is that you're looking across to uh, what's happening in other countries um, yeah. and making the connection that we're so interconnected that that, of course, is going to impact in the States at some time. And, you know, yeah. I, I would assume, like you, that that is completely correct. And what happened is, you know, I think that's that's right, is that we're all operating inside our national bubble so much. And so we're sort of refusing to take the lessons of what's happening elsewhere. And in Britain, we did that in that, you know, we all saw those horror headlines about what was happening in India. I mean, yeah. And, you know, the, the, you know, I mean, it was just, you know, it's an absolute nightmare what we could see on our TV screens. And yet during that time, whilst we were showing those pictures of what was happening in India, we had jumbo jet after jumbo jet arriving in Britain from India 
And of course, India and Britain has huge uh, connections and communications. And, you know, there's an enormous amount of traffic between the two countries. And the flights kept on coming and we let the variants in, even whilst we had a horrifically difficult lockdown in Britain at the start of this year in the dead of winter. You know, Mm -hmm. we had to shut down the entire country again. And, Mm -hmm. you know, people have been put through so much hardship and difficulty. The kids were off school. Parents had a total nightmare. And yet the planes from India kept landing. And that is how this variant has now taken control across the country. So today, the um, the latest stats which have come out of Public Health England are really horrific. And I think now probably that people are starting to wake up because 90% of the cases now in Britain are this new uh, Delta variant which came from India. You know, it's 66% more transmissible than the old variant, which is a huge amount. And most of these cases are amongst school-aged children. And there is another stat, there's another stat, which I think we should be a wake-up call to anybody in the United States now. 30% of the people who have died in Britain so far from the Delta variant were fully vaccinated. 30%? 30%. And how many of those are um, school-aged kids? No, I don't know that detail, I'm afraid. But but we know that kids, I mean, this is one of the things is that there's been, there's some really, um, there's some scientists in Britain who've been doing amazing work on this, one of which, uh, Deepti Gurdasani, who we've been working closely with, is that, you know, she's been, she's been just sort of sounding the alarm and sounding the alarm about this infection amongst kids. Because it's this, it was this, uh, uh, this, and there's another scientist, Christina Pargel, who's done the same. Because it's almost like we don't keep treat kids like they're actually people. It's like yeah. it doesn't really matter if they get it. Yeah, um, and but so- that's the crazy. But that's the crazy thing, though, because I think I totally agree with that. But you know, but as soon as this, if this takes off with kids and sets in, people are going to lose their minds. Yeah. Right? But And it's just that there are so many unknowns because, you know, we did a Twitter space last week um, about this issue and we had representatives from um, an organisation, Long Covid Kids, and another from Safe Education for All. And they were, you know, just talking about that, that you, you know, that we know that there are thousands and thousands of children who've, who've got Long Covid, who've been affected by it in ways which we don't mm. even understand yet. And we, you know, we also know that, this new, there are so many unknowns about the new variant. And I mean, you know, the fact is, is that no kids are vaccinated here. So they've got no protection at all. And though, even mm. though we know the risk of severe disease is lower in children, nonetheless, if there are huge amounts of them being infected, which is what we know is happening now in Britain, then we know that there will also be um, a significant number who do have severe outcomes you know that's just, it's just a matter it's just a numbers game in that the more people infected you know the even if it's a low percentage that mean that makes a, like nonetheless quite a big number uh in total so tell me about tell me about independent sage so it, so independent sage it's a sort of multidisciplinary group of scientists which was convened by the former chief scientific advisor to the british government Um, a man called Sir David King. He was the advisor to Tony Blair and he was the advisor to Gordon Brown. 
And what happened is, is at the start of the pandemic, um, the thing which I have to say that I found most alarming was this lack of transparency again. So we had we had these sort of government ministers and Boris Johnson repeatedly saying, we are following the science. We are following the science. That was their, that was their phrase. But yet they wouldn't say what that science was. And they, they weren't publishing the data behind it. They weren't publishing the scientific papers. And they weren't even saying who their scientific advisors were. So they have a group, it's called SAGE, which stands for the Scientific Advisory Group in Emergencies. And at the start of the pandemic, they wouldn't say who was sitting on SAGE. They said that they weren't going to publish the minutes or the um, the papers but that, that, were, that were influencing their decisions. And, um, and, and what happened is at a, at a certain point, Sir David King, he, he drew together this group of scientists. And a couple of months previously, I'd been involved in setting up this group called The Citizens. It's a non-profit uh, journalism organisation. It's very much dedicated to the idea of impact journalism. It came essentially out of my experience of the Cambridge Analytica scandal. And just my, I got so completely fed up with the fact that nobody got held to account for anything. You know, mm-hmm. Facebook never got held to account. No mm-hmm. executive ever answered to it. In Britain, the um, the Leave campaigns were found to have broken the law. There was no consequence to that. So it yeah. just, it really got me thinking about well, how can journalism have more impact? What what else? You know, it's not enough actually that we just publish these stories and people read them because. You know, in an age of shamelessness, that makes no difference. People, you know, you, you know, it's, I know it's this conundrum we're all sort of thinking about is that is that people just get away with things in a way that they didn't used to. So yeah. and, and, and so I was just really interested. There was this sort of group of academics and filmmakers and data scientists and lawyers who and just ordinary sort of citizens who had sort of had helped me in various ways through my reporting. And basically, I sort of like drew them together into a group in this way of like, well, what can we how can we learn from other disciplines in terms of sort of, you know, reaching new audiences or finding new ways of holding power to account? Is there stuff that we can experiment with? And so anyhow, this group, the citizens, we basically helped this new group, this new scientific group, Independent Sage. It was the idea that it was going to be a shadow group. So it's going to be made up of the same types of scientists who are on SAGE, but they would meet in a very public way. They would conduct themselves very transparently and they would be able to speak directly to the press and public at these um, live streamed briefings. And so we've worked with them right from the very off. And they, you know, they've become a really important voice throughout the pandemic. I mean, these scientists, they've become household names. They're on the TV every single day and they've become this sort of very you know this sort of powerful voice essentially challenging the government on its covid 19s policies and whether it is actually following the science and you know at various stages in the last year and a bit that they've been going there have been really really key moments when they have sounded the alarm and they have said you know, we're at a critical moment. And if the government doesn't act here, we are going to end up in the, I mean, I was about to say a rude word then, Carl, but 
I mean, we, you know, it's, it's, we're going to end up in the shit, basically. And, you know, every single time we have. And, you know, the, the UK's government's handling of the COVID-19 pandemic has been absolutely appalling. You know, we've got had 150,000 people have died. It's one of the worst track records in the world. And every single time there's been this moment when we could have contained it, we fail to. And yeah. it, we're at one of those moments now again. And it has been really hard, I think, you know, and I've, I've seen the sort of increasing frustration from the scientists that they are not being heard. And we are hurtling again towards this June the 21st lifting of all restrictions, even as this Delta has been, yet this Delta variant is out of control and the government is suppressing data on the transmission. You know, yeah. it's a sort of it's a it's a it's another perfect storm which we just have seen so many times before. Yeah, and it's like to your point about the the limits of journalism. I mean, I you know w- w- here we have a case where in both in your country and in this one, you know, we you know tens of thousands of people dead because of government inaction or bad policy, and and even that doesn't alarm people into into action it's kind of extraordinary right yeah i mean i I mean it's really hard isn't it to know what to make of that i mean it's just this sort of very powerful amnesia almost it seems where it's so big we can't really process it Mm -hmm. really really hard Mm -hmm. to you know, if that's that's you know that's it's a you know it's a football stadium and a half of people who died who didn't have to die, and you know we can see that other countries handled it so much better, you know, and those people would be alive if different decisions had been made. And I just I think the kind of the hugeness of that and the sadness of it is, you know, it's almost like looking at the sun. It's just too much. We can't do it yet. It's too soon. It's too it's too painful. I I, I mean, it's in in Britain. It's just absolutely astonishing. Boris Johnson is, you know, he's leading. He's got a huge lead in the polls. Nothing has ever stuck to him, you know, despite these gross failures of leadership. And you know, what do you do about that? How do you live your life, COVID-wise? Like, how how conservative are you in? in uh, in just sort of day-to-day stuff um i am it's my I, my behavior has really depended upon like i because because of independent sage I, they do a weekly briefing on a friday and at the beginning of it they go through all the stats and like there is this amazing you know there's i think eighty-three thousand. we look we're just looking at stats from last week's session and 15,000 people watched it on YouTube, another 50, I think, thousand views on Twitter. Mm. It's, mm. it's kind of like this sort of public service broadcasting. Anyway, because, of, because I listen to that pretty much every week and, you know, and I sort of hear what the scientists are saying outside of it, I, I, my behaviour depends upon what's happening with the mm. virus. Mm-hmm. So, 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 you know, when it's been diminishing and I can see what's happening, that the risk is much lower my behaviour becomes, you know, I, I'm much less cautious, I would say. But like at the moment, for example, we know that the R rate is, I think it's 1.2 to 1.4 now. It's mm-hmm. really gone up. I have been, I'm very lucky. I've just had my second second vaccination, but mm-hmm. that hasn't taken, that hasn't yet had full effect. And uh-huh. although I had, I had the vaccine, which we know 
is only 60% effective against the variant. So, you know, other people are making plans to travel over the summer and all the rest of it. And I I have to say is that I kind of, I, I just, it looks bad to me. And so I think my behaviour, I, I, I'm sort of projecting ahead and thinking, well, actually, I just don't think that's very sensible. I can't see myself really getting on a plane at the moment. And um, I think, you know, we really do need to be worried about what is happening with this new variant. And and as I suppose, that, as I say, the lesson to the states is that, you know, in this interconnected world, we are just all, you know, we're all vulnerable. It's coming to you. It might take longer, but, you know, I, 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 looking at the speed at which it's outpaced the other variants here, you know, I would say you've got a time lag, but it's it is it will be coming. And that's the I mean, that's the lesson of this virus from the very beginning. Um, I mean, I remember, you know, from the very beginning, it was like, well, this is just China. I mean, you really I mean, this is, mm. this is what we've learned from the very beginning anyway. Mm. Um, yeah. yeah, no, totally. And we and the you know, the thing, the thing, the thing that we we know from the very beginning and which we refused, you know, which is that the earlier you act, you know, mm. the 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 more lives are saved. I mean, it's just it's really, really basic. And, you know, we every single time have failed to learn that lesson here. And yeah. Um, yeah, so I guess that's the maybe maybe that's the message we send <laughs> from Britain to you today is we are the canary in the coal mine, I guess, for you of what's coming. As India was for us, really. Carol, it's great to talk to you again. Thanks, Carl. So nice to be here. Thank you. So you can follow our coverage of the coronavirus around the world, uh, the coverage of the coverage at CGR.org. You can follow our daily email newsletter, The Media Today, and on Facebook and Twitter. Thanks for listening. See you next week.